Hello and welcome to Startup Europe, the Sifted podcast. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor. And I'm Eleanor, Sifted's deputy editor. And at Sifted, we report on Europe's tech and startup sector. And on this podcast, every week we peek inside the Sifted newsroom, discuss the biggest things our journalists have been reporting on and speak to some of the people behind the headlines. This week, we're going to be talking about slash valuations and European startups moving to the US. And we'll have some news about speedy grocery company Getir, who we've spent a lot of time talking about on this show, which is raising a new $500 million funding round, which could see its valuation reduced by four times. Then we'll also be talking about the number of startup acquisitions in France hitting record highs as some startups who haven't been able to survive are looking for a home. And now moving to the US special theme, we're going to discuss HR tech company Personios recent move to New York and we'll speak to the founder of Romanian smart chatbot maker Druid about its latest raise which it plans to use to double down on its US business and then last but not least our senior reporter and climate tech expert Freya Pratty will be on discussing how European startups can capitalize on the Inflation Reduction Act awkwardly known as the IRA. And I'll make this one short and sweet because we have spoken about it loads, but mini update on Getir, the speedy grocery company. It has raised $500 million in fresh financing at a very, very, very much reduced post money valuation of $2.5 billion. So I mean, still pretty big valuation, but that's less than a quarter of the $11.8 billion valuation that it attracted when it last raised money last year. This is all according to reporting done by the Financial Times. I don't think we really need to go into the the whys and wherefores of that because you all know because we've talked about this loads but just yet another sign that Speedy Grocery is having a tough time and those companies that have really big valuations and really big burn rates are in a tricky situation right now. And speaking of startups running out of cash, our French tech reporters Chris O'Brien and Daphne Le Prince-Ringay this week wrote about the French tech fire sale that's in full swing as record numbers of smaller startups, both VC-backed and not VC-backed, are selling at big discounts. This rising wave of acquisitions suggests that many founders are really starting to feel the consequences of tighter fundraising environment. But that does mean that there are some deals to be had for bigger companies who want to acquire certain products or things that would be more expensive to build in-house than just acquiring. Yeah, I mean, we can get into the data in a sec, but this ties into something I was talking about with Hussein Kanji, the partner at Hoxton Ventures, who came on one of our Sifted Talks last week during a lunchtime, and I was quizzing him about the state of the market. And he was saying he feels like everything's very jammed up at the moment because you've got the big tech companies have got hiring freezes and have done for a while, which means they're not making the kind of talent acquisitions, the acqui hires they often make where they basically buy tech companies for the talent. So that kind of exit route is jammed up. They're also, you know, lots of companies are very wary of their bottom line. So if a startup is not profitable and, you know, is burning quite a lot of cash, that makes it not very attractive for businesses to buy right now. And yet at the same time, startups you know, lots of them are struggling to raise. So it puts everyone in a bit of a sticky situation. But Eleanor, what what was the actual data on what's going on in France? So in France, our journalist spoke to an M&A advisory firm 
Avolta, which recorded 201 exits in France in the first half of 2023, which was up 10% compared with last year. But the thing is that uh, the average deal size of these exits has fallen from that same period last year. So last year, the average deal size was 40 million euros, and now it's only 10 million euros. Obviously, like the numbers are only from one M&A advisory firm. A lot of times companies don't like to share the figures about how much the deal actually was, but it does suggest a direction of travel in which companies are selling themselves for less because they just need to find an exit. And one of the biggest examples of this is um, the recent sale of the French insurtech company Luco, which today had raised 68 million euros. And sort of early last year, it looked like, you know, this was going to be one that would do super well. And spring last year, it acquired two companies to expand in Europe. And then at that point is when uh, the CEO of Luco said that he started fundraising for a series C, but you know, that was when the downturn really kicked in. Um, and he said VC sort of suddenly soured on the sector. Uh, what happened next is that Luco cut staff. It stopped some of its new product development. It left some, some countries because it wasn't able to raise the money it needed to keep going at the rate it was. But ultimately that wasn't enough. And recently the UK based big insurance group Admiral announced that it had acquired Luco. The companies themselves haven't disclosed the valuation, but reports suggest that it was around 14 million euros. So that's a lot less than the 220 million euros that Luco once attracted as a valuation. Obviously, there are some companies that are struggling right now in the more difficult funding environment and with all of the macro uncertainty out there. But some of the big scale-ups in Europe just continue to go from strength to strength and and show really strong performance. And one of them is German HR tech Unicorn Personio, which we've written about a lot. And it announced today, actually, that it's going to open up a New York office and it's planning to double its US workforce by the end of this year. Obviously, we're, we're not in a time when most companies can do a public listing, can do an IPO, but Personio is definitely seen as one of the big candidates for an IPO once the IPO window opens up. Um, and so investors and people in the ecosystem have told us that this US expansion announcement also helps lay the foundation for that because it's really trying to establish itself as a truly global company. Yep. And this topic both of what's going on with M&As and also European companies expanding to the US, both topics we want to look into a bunch more over the coming months. So if you have any insights on any of that, if you're a startup who has been trying to raise and can't is now trying to sell, if you're an investor who has a bunch of portfolio companies you're trying to hawk, or if you're a startup or an investor, you know, who can talk about why European startups are perhaps interested once again, more or less interested about going to the US, please get in touch. It's amy at sifted.eu or eleanor at sifted.eu. We always love to hear from our readers. So also doubling down on the US is Romanian smart chatbot maker Druid, which raised a $30 million Series B this week. And we've got co-founder Andrea Plisea on the show to talk about it. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Can you first up tell us a little bit about what you do at Druid and who you work with? 
Yes, so hi, nice being here with you. So uh, we have created a conversational AI platform on which you can create conversational business applications that can integrate with any system from the company and automate both internal horizontal processes, but at the same time, external industry verticalized processes for retail, healthcare, higher ed, and utilities and services. Okay, so for a user, that often looks a bit kind of like a chatbot, doesn't it? Can you give us an example of how someone, you know, if I'm a, a customer on an e-commerce website, what that might look like? Yeah, so um, uh, we have uh, uh, virtual assistants or this type of conversational business applications deployed on several retail customers. Uh, and they are using it for customer support, both order tracking, order management, complaint management, but at the same time to increase their sales and their conversion rates compared to the traditional websites. Some customers of ours have managed to achieve four times higher conversion rate by using the virtual assistant with the product recommendation flow as a personal shopper rather than the simple website. And uh, what it does, it's basically connecting to the product catalogs, the stock management applications. And when a customer lands into the conversation and says, I'm interested in practicing, for instance, some sports, and I would like to get some uh, football footwear, automatically the virtual assistant um, starts questioning and getting the right product for that person. Uh, would you prefer red or Green. Would you prefer uh, what type of football are you practicing, American or so? And it can also give some uh, advices. So uh, unfortunately, we don't have on stock this type of pairs from this brand, but I can give you some alternative products having this comparable features. So in, it, it acts as a personal shopper that in the end makes the, the customer buy. Or for instance, in groceries, we can simply ask the virtual assistant, please, I want to prepare a frittata for tonight and gives you the, the recipe for frittata and at the same time takes the ingredients, places it in your, uh, in your cart and helps you acquire those ingredients. That's so interesting. And you're a Romanian company, aren't you? But a lot of your business is now in the US. Is that right? What kind of percentage of your customers are over there? So uh, we were a Romanian company. We started in Romania five years ago, but we have done a flip to US last year. And now we are a US incorporated company. We have a team of around 20 people in US and we are continuously hiring into building also some delivery team. So customer support as well, not only sales, marketing and pre-sales. We increased uh, in the past. We had only a small number of people. So last year we had two people. Now we have 20. And so uh, the, the share of uh, U.S. market rise compared to last year by 60%. Wow. And, and what motivated you to do the flip? Why, why couldn't you stay as a Romanian headquarters company? Uh, because, uh, to be honest, the innovation and the uh, the most competitive environment is in U.S. And secondly, one of our investors, existing investor, Hoxton, last year in the previous round has also pushed us into that dire direction. And he did a great job because we saw an increase in our ACV coming from U.S. and also the higher adoption and new use cases that we've never thought of from the European market. And why is that? Why why do US businesses 
like find it easier or are more interested in working with other US businesses? You know, have they given you any, any indication of why that helps? Uh, not necessarily um, uh, working with US businesses. Probably it's much simpler in terms of bureaucracy. But for instance, we have been working with the Ministry of Defense in US and they were contracting it um, on a direct opportunity by simply lending on our website. So there is this higher interest in US compared to other regions in innovation, even from companies that uh, as a perception, they seem to be a lot of more reluctant to go deep tech um, and uh, new, the new generative AI technologies. And your um, your lead investor in this new round was a New York-based VC, weren't they? Did, yes. Do you think it made it easier? You know, did it have any impact on your your fundraising now? You know, the fact that you're now a US huge company. Definitely, definitely. And uh, TQ, we are very honored to have TQ Ventures as our uh, as our lead investor and as our partner because they not only that they. Uh, brought money in, but also they have introduced us to uh, very big customers, potential customers in U.S. Uh, so they also help us have a footprint in the U.S. market and grow. And it's it's quite a common thing, isn't it, for Romanian or Eastern European companies to to do the flip. Do you what do you think needs to change in order for, you know, Eastern European companies to to stay in Europe or? Do you think that's a kind of silly question? Would you would you recommend lots of European startups so, do so the flip? We we recommend to, to do the flip, but uh, it's not that we have left Europe or that we consider that Europe uh, a less important market than US is. No, we have an office also in uh, in UK, and we have shared uh, let's say efforts in uh, both UK and the Europe market, so EMEA market. But, uh, but also in uh, in US. So uh, we don't say that Europe or other markets are less important, but what we say is that there is a higher uh, adoption and a higher competition in US, which makes you push further your product, your sales strategy. So it gives you from this level to that level in terms of uh, performance. Amazing. And for anyone listening who didn't see Andrea, she, she showed basically that the benchmark is higher if you're in the US, she was demonstrating. Amazing. Thank you very much, Andrea. That was, that was really insightful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Last on the show this week, we have our senior reporter, Freya Pratty, who has a piece out about capitalizing on the Inflation Reduction Act, America's $369 billion climate bill that was announced last year and has since been blamed for luring some big European climate tech scale-ups to the United States with some juicy subsidies. Freya, tell me, what is the IRA? So the Inflation Reduction Act, known as the IRA, offers really big incentives for climate tech companies from all over the world to move to America. You don't need to move your headquarters, but you have to have operations in America and be selling your product from America. And the way it works is the majority of it is tax credit incentives. So something like if you build a solar plant in America, they would give you, I think, 30% of the production costs that would come off your taxes. Another way it works is production incentives. So I think it's $35 per 
kilowatt hour of battery capacity produced. So they can either work incentivizing setting up a factory or selling from your factory. And so we've seen a couple of European big climate tech scale-ups decide to move some of their production or even some of their headquarters to the US on the back of this. Give me some examples. So one that I wrote about this week is Freya Battery, which is originally from Norway. They've moved their headquarters to America and they're building their next factory there as well. So battery makers have been some of the biggest movers on this. Uh, There's also Climeworks, the direct air capture startup from Switzerland, which is involved in a number of direct air capture hubs in America because they they do well off, off the IRA bill. Direct air capture, which is uh, where machines draw CO2 directly from the air, to put it in simple terms. Um, There's also rumours of other big movers. So Northvolt, which is Europe's biggest battery startup, is rumoured to be considering a move to America or perhaps Canada. But if it's America, that would be predominantly because of the IRA bill. So I guess it's also interesting to contrast what European policymakers and regulators have been trying to do to incentivize climate tech startups and how that's different from the US. Because I feel like that's also part of why we're seeing these companies even moving, as you said, with Freyer, even moving their headquarters to the United States. Yeah, so Europe's at the moment a lot more about things like quicker permitting processes for setting up a wind farm or a solar park or making it easier to hire employees if your company is green. They haven't yet offered direct tax credit incentives like America has. America's bill is, is, I think, it's the biggest climate tech package in history. So it's completely changed the scales on where climate tech founders want to be. And from what reports say, it has kind of spooked Brussels into wondering how it can keep founders here. And the same for the UK. I think the package here is, yeah, pales in comparison for climate tech founders. But I guess it's not all doom and gloom, right? And we had some interesting news this week, this morning, actually, which you kind of scooped a couple of months ago about Vercore, which is the French gigafactory startup, scale up, I guess we could say, that raised the second biggest equity round in 2023 in Europe so far. And they're building a gigafactory in France. So. Yeah, that's true. They've secured 850 million euros and a chunk of debt as well. 1.2 billion euros in debt. So no, there are, there are companies building here. Um, I think Verkle, when I spoke to them a few months back, they have, I think they have a strong relationship with the French government. And so individual companies are able to negotiate deals. So Northvolt has a good relationship with the German government for a factory it's going to build there. So there are, there are incentives to stay in Europe. And I guess if you're a European founder, that's like you want to maybe build closer to home. But there is, across the last year, there has been like this slow drip of big names heading to America. So what does that mean for us as individuals? You know, we are being faced by this existential crisis of, you know, climate change, and we need to be working towards a green transition, right? So what does that mean for Europe? What does that mean for us as individuals? Yeah, it's a tough one, because I spoke to someone recently who said this idea of borders in climate tech is kind of arbitrary because the the atmosphere is global the emissions crisis is global it's in everyone's interest for every country to decarbonize but we've also seen examples like the solar industry where over 90 percent of panels are made in china and therefore the backlog for getting a panel into europe is longer and we're very reliant on a single country and that's proven really detrimental so yeah, there, there are strong reasons why Europe 
and any continent or country needs its domestic supply chain. Super interesting, Freya. Well, I'm excited for us to cover this topic more. Thank you very much. And I know you'll be doing some stuff on Sifted Summit too about this. Yes, we've got a panel on infrastructure startups, which will talk about the IRA quite extensively because it's particularly beneficial for infrastructure companies. We'll also have panels on biodiversity, reimagining cities, and also one on food tech innovation. Awesome. Thanks so much, Freya. If you're a European startup with American dreams, think about attending Sifted Summit, our flagship event on October 4th and 5th. We have a panel discussing the how and when of scaling to the US with speakers such as Louise Hill, the co-founder and COO of GoHenry, Thomas Hall, the CTO and founder of Babel, and Georgie Smallwood, the CPO of Moonpig. More information will be in the show notes. And that is all we have time for. If you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, you can find all our coverage on sifted.eu. You can also find all the articles mentioned in this episode and a link to the Sifted Summit website in the podcast description. And let us know what you think of the Sifted podcast on Twitter or email us at hello at sifted.eu and we will see you next week. Bye bye.